First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me uh, to share the word with you this day. Uh, it is indeed uh, my pleasure to have such a wonderful colleague that I get to work with as well. So thank you for the introduction, uh, Erica. Um, I'm also a little bit intimidated. I saw the lineup of your guest preachers over the summer, and um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to the physician Luke. It is the 12th chapter, and we encounter Jesus telling another one of his um, interesting parables. Listen for God's word to us today. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So what's in your wallet? Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come and be among us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. This is my current wallet. It's a lot, it's a lot smaller than the billfold I used to have. Back in the day when we were using cash and carrying everything in our wallet, it was pretty fat. Now, I'm just talking about the guys here. Ladies, you have purses and bags and wallets and all kinds of stuff. I won't comment on because it will probably get me in trouble. I don't know how many of the men here still carry a billfold in your back pocket. I remember the lean, it used to leave a permanent shape on my jeans, you knew where the wallet was. 
They say you can tell a lot about a person by what's in their wallet. There was an icebreaker exercise where you asked people to take three things out of their wallet as a way of introduction to a group. Of course, that's all changed now. Now it's all on your phone. It's all right here. Your photos, what apps you use, where you've traveled, where you've been. You can find out a lot about a person if you look through their phone. It certainly reveals activity and behavior. Do you think it can reveal a person's values? Would you want Jesus to look through your wallet or your phone? Yeah, me neither. Not after today's gospel lesson. You heard it, right? You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, where will they be? Whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Now, you just took the offering. Otherwise, I would call for the offering now. <laughs> Seriously, why did Jesus tell this parable? He reveals the punchline to the story before he even starts the parable. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus then goes on to tell a parable. We expect to hear a story that will prove his point, a story about someone who's very greedy. But the person in Jesus' story is not a bad person. We hear no hint that he acquired his land illegally, or that he cheated or exploited his workers. Jesus says nothing about the man taking the land of other people in order to grow coffee or sugarcane or cotton. There is just this one straightforward line. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. In fact, the people hearing this parable from Jesus, if they were familiar with their Hebrew scripture, might even remember something from Deuteronomy. You shall obey the Lord, observing all his commandments that I am commanding you today, and the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings. The guy in the story is just blessed, they might think. So Jesus is not pointing out bad behavior. It would appear this is a smart guy. He worked hard. He had a couple of good harvests. 
and he's making wise decisions, prudent decisions. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. His plan for the future looks good to him. I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I can't fault him for that. I don't know about you, but that is my plan. <laughs> but then comes the twist, the twist in the story. You know that in every parable that Jesus tells, there is a twist, an unexpected turn. The next line, which comes from none other than God. You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You fool. It sounds a little more insulting in English. The Greek word, aphron, is more closely translated imprudent one. But if imprudent means unwise, lacking discretion, ill-advised, this still doesn't sound like the man in the parable who seems to be, in fact, a prudent planner. But you, did you notice anything about his thinking? What should I do? I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. This person has no thoughts beyond himself. Does he have any memory of the God who said the faithful will be blessed abundantly is the same God who commanded the people of Israel to leave some grain around the edges of the field for the sojourner and the widow. The rich man can see the edges of his field, but does he wonder if there are some beyond the field who might not have any grain at all? This man is in a world of his own creation. The land is his, the barns are his, the grain is his, the goods are his. He has no neighbor and apparently no need of God. My barns, my crops, my grain, my stock options, my 401k, my house, my stuff. 
And again, Jesus reveals his point at the very beginning. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Growing up, my family was not well off. My parents, brother, and I were refugees from China by way of Korea, sponsored by a Presbyterian couple. My parents in San Francisco started out as restaurant workers and through a lot of hard work on their part, eventually bought a home and then our own restaurant. And then after my brother graduated from college, we opened another restaurant. After I graduated from college, I joined the family business full-time. Ministry is a second career for me. I remember one evening, very vividly, very specifically, one Sunday after dinner at home, we were all sitting around discussing some of the issues with the business. Biggest problems, of course, in restaurant is always labor, then food costs, then suppliers. Some things don't change. During a lull in the conversation, my mom turned and said to my dad, remember when the kids were small and we would just go to the park and play? We didn't have much then, but we were happy. Things were simpler, less complicated, and we had less stuff. Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, when you talk to people, over the course of the conversation, you get a sense of what is important to them, what is meaningful, maybe even where they find purpose in their life. Oftentimes, it's in their family, their children. They talk about where they go to school or where they work. Few things are more meaningful than the lives of grandchildren to grandparents. Or sometimes people will talk about their hobbies or their interests. How often do we see on social media where someone is traveling or what they recently ate? I don't know anything about what's going on in their lives, but I know they had paella in Barcelona. Much conversation is small talk and chit-chat, but it does reveal a little bit about what is important to a person. It may even reveal where they find meaning and purpose, and it should be said that more and more people are finding that meaning and purpose in their work. Dr. Carolyn Chan 
a sociologist at the University of California, Berkeley, go Bears, and a director, a co-director of the Berkeley Center for the Study of Religion, said during last week's podcast, A Matter of Faith, a Presbyterian podcast, that for many workers, the workplace is the new faith community in the new economy. Her recent book focuses on the highly skilled workers in the knowledge economy. Her book is entitled Work, Pray, Code, When Work Becomes Religion in Silicon Valley. She says, work is replacing religion in the sense that professionals are looking to the workplace to meet their needs for identity, for belonging, purpose, and meaning that Americans once met in their faith communities or in organizations outside of work. At the same time, companies have taken up spirituality as a way to make their workers more productive. So more than travel, or food, or politics, people frequently talk about work. And it may be because some, not all, but some find meaning and purpose in their jobs. Now you all know I work in Silicon Valley, but I don't work for Silicon Valley. But I've been a pastor for over 30 years now. I have sat with people who were dying. I can honestly tell you that no one has ever said, I wish I would have spent more time at work. They do say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family and my friends. Ultimately, the parable Jesus told was about life and death. It is about our values and the choices we make during our life. We all make choices. But how and why we make those choices is ultimately important. We should try to use I and my less. And we should use we and ours more. And your life, your value, is not found in what you own, but it is in who you are and whose you are. In life, and in death, we belong to God. I close with the words of those great theologians, the Beatles. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Amen. Amen.